Have you ever wondered what heaven will be like? In Revelation 21, God describes the capital city of heaven and reveals to us what heaven will be like. Pastor Brent Snook will encourage your soul as he shares with you the beauty and blessing of heaven. In this final episode of Brent's series, Countdown to Armageddon, he will also share with you how you can know that heaven will one day be your home. We have been in a series during this COVID-19 situation called Countdown to Armageddon. If you look at the book of Revelation, this is the breakdown. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, it speaks of the seven churches of Asia Minor. Those are actual local churches, but it also kind of shares with us the different stages or periods of time in the church age as well. When you come to chapter 4, you never see the church, you never hear the church mentioned again. Because in chapter 6, all the way through the book of, uh, or the uh, 18th chapter of the book of Revelation, through chapter 6 through 18, it spoke, speaks of the tribulation, the time where horrible judgments come upon this earth. There will be almost two-thirds of the world's population that will die during the period of time of the Great Tribulation. You come to chapter 19, and there is the Battle of Armageddon, where Christ returns to this earth to defeat the Antichrist and to rescue his people. You move into Revelation chapter 20, and there we see the millennial thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. He rules with a rod of iron. He rules and shows that what the world could have been and should be. God's saints will reign with him. And then at the end of that comes the great white throne judgment. Well, Revelation chapter 21 now begins, and it speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. Hey, did you know that most Americans believe there's a heaven? That was a little shocking to me, but that's true. Most Americans believe that there is a heaven. But do you find much excitement from very many people about it? The answer to that is no. I wonder why more people aren't more excited about this place called heaven. I'll tell you why I believe that most people are not excited because they really don't understand what heaven will be like. Hey, let me tell you what heaven's not going to be. For every kid, every teenager, everyone, understand, heaven is not going to be one long, boring, eternal church service, okay? That's not what it's going to be. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, Abraham, it says, was looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. As Abraham was looking for that heavenly city, you and I ought to be looking for that city. We ought to be looking for heaven, we ought to be longing for heaven, and we ought to be living for heaven. Have you ever heard some, uh, some uh, people say this, as I have? <laughs> you ever heard somebody say, well, most Christians are so heavenly-minded that they're really no earthly good? I want to tell you, I haven't met, uh, met very many Christians like that, have you? What I have found is that there are many Christians, too many, who are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. 
when you and I lose sight of heaven, we start investing our time and we start investing our talents on earth. Folks, we must keep our eyes on the goal. You want to finish your race? You want to finish the race well? We better keep our eyes on the goal. In 1952, there was a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick. She attempted to swim 26 miles from Catalina to the coastline of California. After 15 hours of swimming, as there were boats that were beside her to make sure those small uh, small boats, they watched out for sharks and they were prepared to help her if that was needed. And she was 15 hours into that swim and a very thick fog set in. Florence began to doubt her ability when the fog set in. She told her mother, who was in one of those boats, she said, Mom, I don't think that I'm going to be able to make it. She swam for another hour, and then she asked to be pulled out of the water into the boat. As she sat in that boat, she found out that she had stopped simply one mile from her destination from the coastline. The next day, they interviewed her. And here's what she said. She said, all I could see while I was swimming was the fog. She said, I think for sure I could have finished my course if I would have just seen the coastline. Dear friend, did you know that heaven is mentioned far more than 500 times in the Word of God? 500 times or more. Do you know what that tells us? It tells me and it should tell you that we must keep our eyes on the shoreline. We must keep our eyes on that wonderful eternal goal. Now I'm going to attempt to do something today that I'm going to fail at. (laughs) I'm going to attempt to do honestly what I don't think any man can do. I'm going to attempt to explain and describe this place called heaven. Would you begin reading with me in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 21. John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. By the way, somebody asked me in the first service, and, and uh, let me just stop. No more sea. Did it ever occur to you that The Bible says that there will be lakes in heaven, there will be rivers in heaven, but no more sea. Why no more sea? What does the sea do today for us? It divides the continents, right? What does that mean? There'll be no, why would there be no more sea when there's going to be water in heaven, beautiful water? Why would there be no, because the seas divide. There'll be no more division in heaven. And I, John, saw, verse 2, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and he their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now, I want to try to do what I said no man can really do very well. And that is explain heaven to you. What I desire to do is take and just kind of split up in points like I normally do with any sermon. And the first thing I want you to see is that heaven is an actual place. Write that down. Heaven is an actual place. As I said, heaven is actually spoken of in the Word of God between 550 and 600 times. Do you remember John chapter 14, verse 2, where Jesus said to his disciples, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The word place there comes from the Greek word tapas. You can figure out what English word we use for that, right? Topology. Do you know that topology is a material tangible place. Listen, heaven is a real place. It's just as real as Cincinnati. It's just as real as Atlanta. It's just as real as New York City. It's a place that you can touch, that you can feel, that you can see, that you can hear. You remember when Jesus gave his model prayer? How did he start it? Our Father which art in heaven. Oh, it is such a definite place. Are you ready for this? It is such a definite place that God actually gives the size of heaven. I want you to notice something very intriguing. Revelation chapter 21, verse 16. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Now, you ready for this? The length and the breadth and the height of it are all equal. Hey, do you understand that? Just say no. <laughs> you don't understand it, and I don't understand it. The Bible says that the width of it will be 1,500, uh, 1500 miles wide. The length of it will be 15 miles wide, and the height of it will be 15 miles high. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high. Do you know what that is? You say, nope, let me explain it. That is 15 times more surface than the entire surface of the earth. How about that? That is enough surface to accommodate 30 billion people all right let me give it to you this way the department eugenics at carnegie institute has estimated that since adam and eve lived that the number of people that have lived since adam and eve you ready for this 30 billion people that means if every single solitary person ever born would go to heaven, which we know they won't, we would have about 39 square miles for ourselves. That's quite a spread, I would say. By the way, 
Those are only the measurements, you ready for this? Of the capital city that God is preparing that will come down. That is not the dimensions of the whole of heaven. Friend, listen, heaven is an actual place. But I want you to notice, number two, heaven is an amazing place. Here's where I get into telling you that I can't even begin to describe heaven, but I'm going to do my best. And the only way I can even begin to try to do my best is to take it from Scripture. The Bible says, as we read in chapter 21, would you read with me verse 17 through 23? And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was as of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. Now keep reading. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every special gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, because the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now I want you to notice, first of all, the structure of heaven. On the outside, it looks like a sparkling, transparent diamond. On the inside, the Bible says that the foundations are made out of amazing, precious stones. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out that there are walls and gates and streets and trees and rivers, and the builder and the maker and the designer of heaven is none other than God himself. Oh, the structure of heaven is amazing. But I want you to think with me also of the sights of this place called heaven. This place, if you're a child of God, that you are almost home. Oh, what is the most amazing, most splendid uh, thing about heaven? Hey, what's the most splendid city you've ever been to? I want you to think with me just for a moment. What is the most amazing, most beautiful, most splendid city that you've ever seen? For me, probably a place called Santorini. Anybody, anybody ever been there? Other than Joy? Glad she was with me. Anybody else? Hey, I want to tell you something amazing. You say, how in the world did you get to go there? because you all sent us. <laughs> That's why. Man, what an amazing place. It's one of the Greek islands that is right there on the Aegean Sea. It is the, a little white town with rounded, beautiful roofs elevated among the cliff tops above the blue water. 
I mean to tell you, this is just one simple side of that place, Santorini, and it's jutting upward toward the blue sky. It is amazing. That doesn't even come close to comparing to heaven. Not even close. Revelation chapter 21 describes the color of this place called heaven, and it uses the color of all these precious stones. Hey, I want to tell you something. God loves color. You have been to places in this world, maybe you've never been to Santorini, but you've been to places that take your breath away. I mean, it contains, this world contains scenes of beauty that literally take our breath away. And yet, think about it. This world is marred and stained and spoiled by sin. But oh, heaven is not. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, it says this. It says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen what God hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. The Bible says there will be 12 gates there in heaven. And each one of those gates will be made of pearl. Now think with me a moment. They'll be made of pearl. The wall is made of jasper, a crystal stone-like diamond. But the Bible says that the gigantic gates of that golden city will be made of solid pearl. There's something very significant about that. Let me give to you what is significant by quoting a man by the name of W.A. Criswell, a great preacher who's passed on to heaven. Here's what he said. He said, there is a sermon in the fact that the gates are pearl because heaven is entered through suffering and travail. Heaven is entered through redemption and blood, through the agony of the cross. And then he went on to explain, a pearl is a jewel made by a little animal that is wounded. And then he said this, without the wound, the pearl is never formed. Oh, what was he trying to say? I'm telling you, my friend, every time that you and I, if you're a child of God, will walk through the gates of pearl, we will be reminded that the only reason that we are there is because of the suffering and the wounds and the pain of Jesus Christ. The streets, the Bible says, will be pure gold. The sights of heaven can't describe it but it brings us to the splendor in heaven read with me in chapter 21 of revelation chapter 4 the bible says and god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow no crying neither shall there be any more pain why because the former things are passed away Think about it, Christian. No more tears. Have any of you wept this week? No more tears. No more death. 
Just today we announced three of our, our, our family here at First Baptist that have had their loved ones pass away. The Bible says there will be no more death. Have you lost any loved ones of late? You know what death is for the Christian? It's just moving day. It's moving day. This past week on Monday, Sean and Heather, my daughter and son-in-law, moved out of their home. Man, it was a busy day. Everybody was trying to chip in to get all the last things out of the house so somebody else could move in and everything to get cleaned. And when it all got done and everybody was gone, Heather and Sean and the boys were the only ones left. You know what Heather did? She cried. Why? Because a lot of memories are there. You know what I mean, right? You see, that's the only home that Sean and Heather have known since they got married. It's where both of their boys were raised up to this point. And as they got ready to leave that place, Heather began to cry. You know? What happens when somebody gets ready to leave this place? I've seen a lot of saints of God shed a tear. You know why? Because their memories of their loved ones and their family and all they've known is here. And yet I watch those tears move to tears of joy and smiles because it's just moving day. The Bible says there'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. Have any of you had sorrow of late? There'll be no more crying. What is making you cry today? Think about it. What, let me ask you, what is the best day you've ever had in your life? Think about it for a second. What is the number one best, greatest day you've ever had? Well, every single solitary day in heaven is going to be far superior to the best day you've ever had on this earth. The Bible says no more pain. No more pain. Some of you live every single day with pain. This past uh, Monday or Tuesday, I was running an errand and I put on my phone and put it through my Bluetooth in my car and listened to Ravi Zacharias talk about suffering. Ravi Zacharias is one of the greatest apologists that has lived in our generation and he just passed away and went on to heaven. But you know what I heard him say about suffering? Ravi Zacharias said, as he has traveled this globe back and forth, back and forth, a crisscrossed everywhere that you can mention as an apologist of the word of God, Ravi Zacharias shared how that pain is part of life. For 50 years, he's crisscrossed this globe. And here's what he said. He said, to do what I've done, I needed two things, a good back and a good throat, a voice. And then he said, and I had neither. He said, I don't have a strong voice. And he said, I've lived with a back where I have two titanium rods in my back with screws all over. He said, there were times where I'd be driving my car and have to pull over and put my head on the steering wheel and cry because of the pain that I was in. The Bible says there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more curse. There will, thank God, be no more sin. That great preacher, Richard Baxter, 
was on his deathbed and a friend came by to see him and he asked him, uh, Richard, he knew that he wasn't doing well at all and he said, how are you doing? And Richard Baxter looked at him and he said, I'm almost well. And shortly after he was, for he passed on into eternity. Listen, our present body is aging, it's decaying, it's drooping, it's sagging. You know, I watch guys, I go through the, drive through my neighborhood and I see these young guys running through the, uh, my neighborhood and they're sweating and they're jogging and they're running and I think, man, that used to be me. I see these guys, they're over there in the gym playing basketball and, and they think they're good and I think, that used to be me. I look at these young guys and I see them doing all kinds of things and there's something in me. I can't do what I used to do. I look in the mirror. I told my wife, my aching back every time I look in the mirror. I got another spot and a new wrinkle. Something goes on in the body. Our, listen, listen, our present body does not work in heaven. Did you know that? It doesn't work in heaven. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 says we need a new body. Friend, heaven is going to be the most exciting, the most wonderful, the most fascinating, the most tremendous place you've ever seen in all of your life. It's going to be a place of glorious activity and marvelous splendor. But that's not all. For we're going to have the Savior in heaven. You ever stop and think about, hey, who's going to be in heaven? Let let me just give you a few ideas. Number one, from Scripture, we know that the angels will be in heaven. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 gives a verse. Here's what it says. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the number of them, listen to this, was 10,000 times a 10,000, and thousands of thousands. There's going to be so many angels in heaven, man, it's going to be pretty cool. When I went to Israel a number of years ago, I, I, we, we had a personal tour guide, right? I'd never been to Israel before. I could have figured out Jerusalem, but other than that, I probably wouldn't have figured out a whole lot. But we had a tour guide, and he took us, and he'd get us on a bus, and then he'd stop here, and he'd say, this is Jericho, and this is what happened at Jericho, and here's what it's known. Over here, this... It just might be that the angels in heaven will be our personal, personal tour guides. Oh, could it be that they're going to show us the beauties of heaven and the wonders of heaven and the glories of heaven? But not just a place for angels. i tell you who else is going to be there. The Bible says that the Old Testament saints are going to be there. How do we know that? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, he said, many shall come from the east and the west, and they're going to sit down with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I'll tell you what, heaven is for all of eternity, and I can't wait. Can you imagine having a conversation with the Old Testament saints? Man, I want to ask Abraham what it was really like to climb up Mount Moriah and know that he was going to have to lay his son on on the altar and raise that knife. Abraham, man, would tell me, take your time, tell me what that was like. I want to ask Moses what it was really like to lead two million people throughout the wilderness. People that were complaining. People that didn't trust him. People that weren't trusting God. People that griped. 
What was that like, Moses? Hey, Moses, tell me what it was like when you had your back up against the Red Sea. Two million people, all the cattle, all the herd. What was it like when you knew Pharaoh, you could see him, they were coming, and your back was against the Red Sea? Tell me, Moses, what was that like? Oh, I want to ask Jonah. I want to ask Jonah some questions. I want to ask him what it was like. What did he do for three days in the belly of the fish? And I can't wait to ask him, hey, what'd you look like when you came out? I mean to tell you, I want to sit down with David because I've been there and I've seen the mountain on one side where the Philistines were. I've seen the mountain on the other side where the Israelites were. And I've seen the vast valley in between. I want to ask David, what was it like to have Goliath, that big old lug, standing down there belching out blasphemies against God and for you to come down the mountain and go down and face him all by yourself? Tell me about it, man. I can't wait to hear. How heavy. How heavy was the rock that went in his forehead? Man, I've got a lot of questions for a lot of Old Testament saints, don't you? But we're also going to see the New Testament saints. Peter, can you sit down and explain to me what it was like when Jesus came to you and said, couldn't you even watch with me for an hour to pray? Peter, you're the only one that got out of the boat. What was it like walking on the water? And what was it like when you started to sink? I want to ask Stephen what it was like for him to preach with such boldness, such authority, such courage, and have men come and stone him to death. But not only the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, but the tribulation saints are going to be there. Those that said, I'll not bow my knee. I will not take the mark of the beast. I will stand for Jesus Christ. Hey, some of you tell me what it was like when you were killed for your faith. I want to sit down also with some of the Bible-believing saints like Spurgeon. Man, that guy pastored the biggest church in London when he was 19 years old. 19! Man, what was that like, Charles? I'm going to sit down with Adrian Rogers because I got a conversation with him for 45 minutes on a plane from Jacksonville to Atlanta, and I want to pick that up because he's been my hero. I love to hear him preach, although he's gone to heaven now. I want to sit down with a guy by the name of Ernie Wilson that most of you have no clue. The Bowers would. Miskos would. Many of you would. Pam, you would know him. You know why I want to sit down with Ernie? Because, oh, Ernie was one of those guys that he was here way before I ever got here, and this church was troubled, and it was messed up, and people didn't like each other, and Ernie would come to me every time I'd preach, and he'd say, Pastor, just keep it up. I remember one time I said to him, how many did we have? He said, we had 105. I said, man, oh man, is that all? He said, pastor, as long as we stay over 100, that's all that matters. Just keep on doing what you're doing. I want to sit down with old Ernie Wilson, and I want to tell him, although he probably already knows, I want to tell him all about what God has done over these 30 years and the encouragement that he was to me. Some of you have loved ones. Some of you have spouses. Some of you have your children. Some of you have your parents in heaven. Oh, it makes heaven that much sweeter, doesn't it? 
But do you know what is going to be the most captivating aspect of this wonderful place called heaven? Do you know what is going to be the greatest thing about it all? It's the presence of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, if you're a child of God, we're going to see Jesus. My friend, the light of heaven is the face of Jesus. The music of heaven is the theme of Jesus. The employment of heaven is the service of Jesus. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus. The fullness of heaven is the person of Jesus Christ. We are going to see our Savior. Oh, I wonder what his voice sounds like. I wonder what his eyes look like. I wonder what his embrace feels like. One of these days we're going to get to heaven and say, Dear God, why didn't you tell me heaven was so wonderful? Why didn't you tell me heaven was so beautiful? Why didn't you tell me heaven was so marvelous? And I can hear the Father say, I tried. I took things like gold, and I took things like pearl, and I took things like precious stone to try to describe it to you, but you just had to see it for yourself. My dear friend, heaven is an actual place. Heaven is an amazing place. And I'd be fine to stop right here, but I can't. Because I have no doubt in my mind that in this congregation, right here, right now, there's somebody who's not going to heaven. And I have no doubt in my mind that somebody who's watching online is not going to heaven. So let me explain to you one last thing. Heaven is an appointed place. Friend, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. In Revelation chapter 7, John saw people marching through heaven, and he asked the question, who are these? Good question. Here's the answer. These are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of Jesus. My friend, you can't be heaven-bound until you are heaven-born. And the only way to get to heaven, are you listening? The only way to get to heaven is you've got to have a passport. And the only passport acceptable to God is the passport that is stamped in the blood of His Son. couple things that this place called heaven that we need to understand. And number one, it involves an invitation. You have to be invited in order to go to heaven. Did you know that Jesus Christ told a lot of amazing, beautiful stories about this invitation to heaven? Jesus compared heaven to going to a banquet. Now, a lot of people have been convinced by this old world that going to heaven is like going to a funeral. 
But that's exactly opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus said, no, it's like going to a wedding feast. And by the way, who's invited? Whosoever will. All are invited to heaven. Listen to this story and it'll explain a little bit. Her name was Ruth Anna Metzger. Ruth Anna Metzger was an amazing singer, a professional singer. And a number of years ago, Ruth Anna Metzger was asked to sing at a wedding of an amazing, very wealthy man. The reception was going to be held after the wedding at, on the very top floor of the northwest tallest building called the Seattle's Columbia Tower. And she and her husband, she was excited about singing at that wedding, but man, she was far more excited about the reception to follow. At the reception, waiters were in tuxes. At that reception, they offered luscious hors d'oeuvres. The bride and the groom, they approached a beautiful glass and brass staircase. Someone ceremoniously cut the satin ribbon draped across the bottom of the stairs, but at the top was the maitre d'. And he held a book. He greeted the guests outside the doors, and he simply greeted them with, may I have your name? Ruth Anna stepped up and she said with a smile, I am Ruth Anna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. He opened the book, he looked down the alphabet, and he said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but your name's not here. Could you spell it? She spelled it. He looked at the M's again. He said, I'm sorry, but your name's not here. She said, but, but I'm the singer. I, I sang at the wedding. He said, I'm sorry, ma'am, to tell you that it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Your name has to be in the book. He ushered her over to the elevator across the hall and punched the G. Her husband and her got on that, and they went to the parking garage. They were in silence as Roy drove out of the parking garage about two blocks down the road. He said, honey, what happened? She said, Roy, when the invitation arrived, I was so busy. I forgot to RSVP. Besides, Roy, I was the singer. And it's then that she began to cry. She said for two reasons. She missed out on one of the greatest opportunities she would ever have in life. And number two, she said, my mind went directly toward the great banquet ceremony of the greatest groom and how many people will not be there. Oh, dear friend, I tell you, God's Word says in the last chapter of the entire Word of God, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, 
come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. There's your personal invitation to heaven. From God. There's a second thing that we find about this appointed place. Not only does it involve an invitation, but it also involves a conversion. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Except ye be converted, Jesus said, and become as a little child. Why a little child? Because they come with simple childlike faith. He said, if you don't come like a simple child, except you're converted, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I grew up in a little town up north called Finley, Ohio. It's about 50,000 people, maybe 60. When I got married for years, when my parents still lived in Finley, Ohio, I used to love to go back home. There was something about it, just going home. Many of you know what I'm talking about. I'd go to my dad's house, not my neighbor's house. When I'd go into home and walk in, I'd go in and hug him, not the lamp and the sofa. You know why? Because running all through my skin is my dad's DNA. I am so anxiously awaiting heaven. Why? To go to my heavenly Father's house because I, listen, I and many of you, I have His DNA because of a conversion. I have been converted, regenerated. The DNA of the blood of Jesus runs all through me. Friend, listen. Jesus Christ said you must be born again or you can't see heaven, let alone enter heaven. I want to give to you one more thing. If you're a child of God and you know that you've been invited and converted and you know heaven's your home, if you know you're a child of God, there's something else that ought to be a part of you anticipation anticipation I tell you what I love always have I love vacations can't help it some of you are just homebodies man you don't want to go anywhere hey I love vacations can't help it it doesn't matter if it's going to the lake it doesn't matter if it's going to Santorini it doesn't matter if it's going to the beach I love vacations one of the best things about vacation is the anticipation before I ever get there. Listen, the best part of heaven is not anticipation, although it's really cool. The best part of heaven is to get there and to be there. I can't wait for my final vacation of heaven eternal. How about you? Are you headed there? Are you going there? Hey, it doesn't matter who you are. And it doesn't matter what you've done, good or bad. I want to close with a letter 
that was written to Adrian Rogers a number of years ago. Listen very, very, very carefully. Dear Adrian Rogers, this guy wrote, I hope you are doing very well. I just wanted to write you a few lines for the first time to tell you how much I enjoy your sermons. Your presentations are so plain and easy to understand. I accepted Christ as my Savior, listen carefully, about two years ago. Since then, I have read the Bible through three times and taken eight Bible study courses, mostly through the mail. I've not been watching your program on TV very long, but ever since I first listened to you on Sunday morning, I sit waiting on your program to come on with Bible and pen and paper. You see, I can't do much anymore. God is my strength and my salvation every day, praise the Lord. I am an inmate in the state penitentiary and I am on death row. I look forward to that great and glorious day when Christ comes to take his saints to heaven. I got my dad listening to your show also. He even records them. I just wanted to give my thanks to you for all your wonderful preaching. With all my heart, I say thanks to you. That's an interesting letter, isn't it? But listen to a little bit of what Adrian Rogers answered. He said, Friend, you're not on death row. You're on life row. Because Jesus said, Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. John eleven twenty six. I say to you, aren't you so glad for a gospel that could take a poor, lost sinner who deserves hell and save him by his glorious, wonderful grace and take a man like that to heaven? Friend, what God has done for that man on death row, he'll do for you and for you. If you want to be glory-bound, you've got to be glory-born. And if you want more than just a sermon on the glimpses of glory, you've got to have a passport. And the passport is the mighty, amazing grace of God. Heaven. You going there? Would you bow your heads? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Dear friend, every single solitary boy and girl and teenager and adult ought to make sure today that you know you're on your way to heaven. Do you know that? Are you positive? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It may be right here in this congregation or it may be there at home. And it may be the time that you know you need to open your heart to Jesus today. And you can do that. You know why? Because Jesus died for you. And Jesus gives you an invitation. The invitation is whosoever will may come. And all you need to do is, as I said, with childlike faith, come to Jesus. Will you do that today? 
Thank you for tuning in to the First Pulpit Podcast with Pastor Brent Snook. We trust this series, The Countdown to Armageddon, is a challenge and encouragement to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast so that others can benefit from the messages of Pastor Brent Snook.